Warning, the 1982 project contains explicit language. We're only human. This is this is this you movie's know? an onion, dude. Yeah. This movie isn't. You start peeling back layers <laughs> or asking questions, you're you're down a, a rabbit hole. This this movie's an onion, um, and. The thing, the thing about onions is when you peel them, like eventually you start to cry, and then you get to the middle, and there's nothing there. I can see we're gonna go far. Hello, one and all, and welcome to another episode of the 1982 Project. My name is Michael Schatz. And I'm Matt Aldrich. And this is the show that unmasks the movies of 1982. We're here. We ain't partners. We ain't brothers and we ain't friends. What are you people? On dope? I got nowhere else to go! He's a replica. I'm afraid! Alright! He likes one quick. Let's get let's blow it up right away. The black man. Has a whorehouse in it. Now that penis, huh. but I'd recognize that penis anywhere. Fuck you two! You go clean off my door. I think we're getting into a weird area. Enough talk. We are talking about three different movies this week, correct? And we are on the subject of gender. We are, and I, I have to say, um, I'm. This is the first time I feel scared doing this. Really? Yeah, I, I, no, honestly, I do. I feel like um, I feel like we, you know we've done a couple of these episodes, and we've been talking about coming of age, and we've been talking about issues of masculinity, and these are things that I feel like we have kind of domain uh, to talk about um, and mm-hmm. personal experiences with, and everything. Right. The movies that we're we're talking about today are Tootsie, Victor Victoria, and The World According to Garp. The thing that kind of ties them all together is that they feature characters and themes that really confront gender norms. Well, and gender identity. And gender identity. But they're also three films made by old white men. I mean, the the, right. the point of view on these films and who gets to talk about this stuff, I'm just feeling very acutely. And I'm sort of looking at you and looking at me and going like, I don't know. Do we, do we sit this one out? <laughs> do you know what I mean? I can see what you're saying, and I understand. Like, it's not, it, and obviously, it's not lost on me about the three white men directing this movie. George Roy Hill, for those that don't know, famously, Sun, uh, Butch, you know, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, as well as The Sting. If you don't know Blake Edwards, you do know Blake Edwards. <laughs> you know what I mean? All of the Pink Panther movies. He's got a real almost vaudeville sensibility. Absolutely. Yeah. I think though just in general like stepping back from the individual movies, like I feel like this whole project is sort of us kind of inching out onto a limb, right? Um, the thinner part of the yeah, branch. Yeah, and, and and on one hand I'm like, yeah, well, out on a limb that's where you find the best fruit. But out on a limb is also where you fall to your death. And, right. <laughs> and so Yeah, of course. So on one hand, I feel like two two white dudes in their in their 40s 
taking a, an honest sort of stark look at the movies they grew up on and talking with each other about them and kind of unpacking that. I think that is an important conversation and it is it, it is a conversation that I think more more people kind of need to have like more more yeah. more white dudes need to kind of get real with you know the the food they were fed the brain food they were fed as, as kids. But in in that it's inherently not inclusive. Well, I, 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 is that what you're? No, I, that's not what I'm saying. I, I think I'm I, I think I'm saying um, if it's a conversation we need to have, is it one we need to have in public? I mean, look, if you're a few years ago when say the Me Too era kind of started if you're a male in america and you haven't been rethinking every conversation you've ever had in your life maybe you should go fuck yourself right right you know what i mean no i hear i hear you and and but go ahead i think the uncomfortableness comes from a place where when that started i was sort of of the opinion of hey men why don't we all shut up for a while Exactly. And so what are we doing here? Like, we, and just listen. Yeah, but, and like, and so here we are not shutting up. Like, and that's what I mean. Like, well, like, but that it has been a few years. Well, yes. And so, but, but, and, and I think this is, I think, I think what's interesting about this podcast and this idea is that we have discovered that through the movies of 1982, there is a host of things that we, that we misunderstood then or think of differently now. And, and I think it's represented in these three movies. These three movies are very fascinating to me. What they represent, what they have to say, and including about inclusion. Yeah, no, they're, they're surprisingly current. And they're surprisingly <laughs> inclusive. For, for 1982? They are surprising. And the movies we just talked about, Conan the Barbarian, yeah, no, and, and no doubt, no doubt, the, Death Wish. Two, watching these three movies, it's remarkable. These movies exist in 1982. It is, and and watching these movies after watching the the Macho Grande movies was a breath of fresh air. It was, yes. it was, but and, and so I guess I'm I'm worried that I'll let that breath of fresh air go to my head. I'm gonna I'm gonna um, I'm gonna go into some of the pedigree um, for for these. For these movies, I was I, I I was surprised myself about the pedigree. So Tootsie itself, uh, second highest grossing film of the year after E. T. Right. Uh, it 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 you know the AFI 100 lists that they put out. It's on three mm-hmm. three separate AFI 100 lists. Um, nominated for all kinds of ten, all kinds of Academy Awards. Won the Golden Globe for Best Musical Comedy. Jessica Lange, Oscar winner. Jessica Lange, Oscar winner, absolutely. Uh, uh, Gina Davis's first movie role. Um, it was made into a musical in 2018. Uh, went to Broadway in 2019. Uh, Victor Victoria, also on the AFI 100 Laughs list, also made right. into a musical in the mid 90s. Um, the World According to Garp. Uh, Academy Award uh, nominated performance uh, for John Lithgow. Um, and Glenn Close. And it was Glenn Close's first movie role. Also, right. also Robin Williams' first dramatic role. He had only, The only movie he had done up to that point was Popeye. Was Popeye. Right. The point I'm trying to concede is, um, regardless of, of my experience watching these movies now, it's entirely possible that these movies still are deeply deeply offensive to yes. a, a lot of people in ways that I am fucking blind to. And, right. and 
I'm not coming on here to show everybody how woke I am. I'm coming. No, I'm yeah. coming on here to sort of unpack, to try and learn. Yeah, just to sort of unpack and and look at and reckon with um, these movies from my past and movies which, um, as we keep saying, are still in the public are consciousness. still in our lives. Yeah, these movies. Right. It'd be one thing if these movies were in a museum somewhere, but they are not. In that way, like uh, like I said, I'm I'm super nervous to talk about these movies. Well, let's talk about them. I'd like to make her look a little more attractive. How far can you pull back? How do you feel about Cleveland? I'm very proud of being a woman, Dr. Booster. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, that's... Shame on you, you macho shithead. You know, you and I have talked off mic. We had a conversation when I had rewatched it a month and a half ago or so. Mm And there were things I reacted very negatively to regarding Dustin Hoffman's character. The thing that I forgot about the movie is how much of a character, how much of a dick Michael Dorsey is. And, and, yeah. that's, and that's the whole movie, though. I mean, that's... And not just a dick actor. No, no, no. He's, he's a dick. Which is plainly evident in the movie, but... But this is... Not a good person, Dick. Yeah, no, he's he's a dick. But that's kind of the point of the movie is that this is a story about a man who learns how to become a better man by... By, by being a woman. parading around, uh, masquerading as a, as a woman. So the scene I'm talking about is the scene in which he is at Terry Gar's apartment. He's at Sandy's apartment. I know exactly the scene you're talking about. And sees a dress and decides he wants to try on the dress. Right. She is in the shower. Right. She walks out of the shower, sees him basically naked. He's just wearing his his, his, his bikini briefs. And she screams and says, Michael, what are you doing? And his, his solution to this problem, because he doesn't want to admit that he's gotten a part on a television show that she auditioned for, is to have sex with her. Yeah, to seduce her. Um, and thereby complicate, like thereby complicating the plot, and their relationship, their relationship, everything. And again, on a on a just on a, on a level of drama, it's the best choice because it it complicates the plot. It's it has right. comedic overtones, like all of it. Like I was saying, like construction wise, it all works. But you watching it now, you're like, oh yeah, he is a real, he is a real. Uh, dick and uh, but but he it's 1982 hilarious it is 1982 that's a very good way to put it he's a real dick yeah. but he's he's he is more charming than the other dicks in the movie he's right. way more charming right. than right. dabney coleman than dabney coleman or yeah. um uh what's the actor's name who plays the, uh, the i'm blanking on his name who plays the doctor who's always kissing the his co-stars oh george gaines, george gaines. yeah the tongue the tongue <laughs> So, so those guys are kind of the lightning rod for, right. uh, for ire, you know, they're, they're the, they're the, they are the, um, and so by comparison, you're going to love Michael exactly. Dorsey. So Michael Dorsey's, right. Michael Dorsey's, um, um, you know, his tendencies are again, cause he's charming and he's your, he's your main character. And so we're supposed to give him a pass. And I agree with you that watching it now, you're kind of like, ugh. I, I don't know when I was watching this movie. But what I didn't what I didn't what I didn't remember seeing the first rewatch that I noticed this time is that because he has this moment too. He has this total guy moment when he's talking to his roommate played by Bill Murray. 
and Bill Murray is questioning him about everything, all the all the plates he's trying to keep spinning mm-hmm. in his life. Mm-hmm. And Dustin Hoffman has this moment where he says, hey, look, I never told Sandy that we were exclusive. And I'm going after Jessica Lange because I think it might be true love. And what I forgot is that he is confronted by that very same argument later in the movie as Tootsie, as as the character. As Dorothy. When he's talking to Dabney Coleman. And Dabney Coleman has the same exact line about Jessica Lange's character of Julie and the look on... It's so subtle, but it's really good. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's as though he it finally dawns on him the asshole that he's been. Yeah. So I appreciated that a lot more on a second viewing. Where, and the first time, for some reason, it, I just didn't pick up on it. I didn't notice it. I think I think what you're describing. So I, go ahead. No, well, I just I just um, I so appreciated that one moment on this viewing almost more than anything else in the movie. Oh, interesting. Because the look on his face and his line is, that's very convenient. And again, like that, that's brilliant writing. Right. That's brilliant writing um, because you, your, your main character is, is being sort of force fed his own pudding. And... Mm-hmm. And again, this is a story about a man who becomes a better man by masquerading as a woman. And so if he hadn't been masquerading as a woman, he he never would have heard his own words coming out of a, he another man's mouth. He never would have mouth. learned his yeah. – yeah, he and, never and would so, have learned. And, he never would have grew, so you know, grown. It's great writing. It's great acting, as you say, like the look on Hoffman's face. It's great filmmaking. I think there is a – I mean, look – the idea of a man dressing up as a woman or a woman dressing up as a man, like that goes back to Shakespeare. So like this is this is not new right. territory. And and we've been making comedy out of that idea for a long time. And, and so Tootsie, I don't think christened any ships um, in that idea. No, no, and, no of and course in some not. Ways, and we're still having this argument, say, in Japanese theater with Kabuki theater. Sure. And, and which is all performed by men. But we're starting to get to a point where they're saying, oh, no, hey, should I, I'm have not women? even talking about act, male actors playing female roles. I'm talking about like within the stories of Shakespeare's um, right, right. Okay, in, within okay. the stories of Shakespeare's plays. He has lots of gender, lo- lots of lots of men dressing up as women and women dressing up as men right. so they can sort of spy on the on the other side, kind of in the way that you're describing here. And and so um, putting um, putting a man in a dress has been played for comedy for a, a long time. And sure. Uh, and it's played for comedy here. Let's not kid ourselves. You know, um, a man, you know, him sort of wobbling in high heels and, um, mm-hmm. you know. The taxi cab, the taxi cab scene, or 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 yeah. even just um, you know, the the taking a screen test for the first time, and the and the um, the producer says, you know, I'd like to make her look a little more attractive. Can you pull the camera back? And the camera operator says, How do you feel about How do you feel about Cleveland? Yeah, yeah. and 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 so th- 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 this movie does take a lot of pot shots at that gag. Um, sure, not as many as as Victor Victoria takes. Um, no. And more pot shots than Garp takes. So this is this is mm-hmm. kind of in the middle uh, of the of the comedic spectrum uh, for me on these three movies. I, I don't know. Watching this movie today, I, I I just I don't know. I keep catching myself. Um, 
we are we continue to laud this movie. We're continuing to make you know, like I said, just a few years ago, they they put this movie on Broadway as a musical. Do we keep this movie alive? Do we keep trying to emulate this movie? Do we keep saying, oh, we need to, we need another Tootsie? You know, do we keep doing that? Or do we just let this one go and say, you know what? It was a funny movie. It made a lot of money. It was a good thing for 1982. And now we're going to just let's move on, right? move on and continue and explore new paths and avenues. There is male gender stuff in here. By the you know, for starters, Dabney Coleman, one of the greatest foils. Oh yeah, to be on screen, he's great. And and in, in a few short years, he'll he'll reprise this role in Nine to Five. Yeah. And yeah, cement himself. He's right up there to me with um, Martin Mull in Mr. Mom, as being sort right. of like just the ultimate like dick villain. Yeah. I love. There are things in this movie with him. The fragile male ego Mm -hmm. when he's asking Michael as Dorothy, he's saying, you don't like he says, you don't like me. And then asks, why don't you like me? (laughs) You know, the fragile male ego portion to me is also very smart. And and his his surprise when he finds out that she's a man is Uh, Like, that's why you don't like me. Because, of course, a woman would like me. Right, right. It would only be a man that couldn't like me. Yeah, he uses it to just reinforce. He doesn't change. He uses it to reinforce his own own sense of of sexiness. Um, What they do that's really smart, I think, is they juxtapose that with Charles Durning as Les. Yeah. And I love when they meet each other at the bar at the end. And when he actually says... You know, all things being put aside or considered, you were good company. It was easy to talk to you. Yeah, their scene in the bar is um, is surprisingly sweet and right, and, exactly. and, and low key and sort of contained and and as good a way as you can wrap up that storyline as as possible. I think again, this movie trades on the comedy of two men kissing, you know, and two men, like mm-hmm. one man try, wanting to kiss another man and the, and playing on the comedy of that. And again, it doesn't go as far as Victor Victoria does with that. Right. Um, but it, it trades on that comedy. And this is where I go like, yeah, I don't think you can trade on that comedy anymore. Well, I'll say this just in wrapping all of this mm-hmm. up. One of the things that stuck out to me was a note I took I found a thing, a little trivia thing. I think it was on his first day of shooting or towards the beginning of the movie. Dustin Hoffman went home and cried, confronting his own sexist perceptions of women. And Dustin Hoffman was also somebody who got, you know, um, sort of outed in the in the Me Too movement in the last few years. Too. Exactly. But that's that's what I find. And that's again, it's like it's like that's that's you know, yet another sort of thorn in this briar patch that we're that we're right. that we're dealing with right now about this movie um, is is the real life Dustin Hoffman of it all. And yeah. yes. And, and he told stories in many interviews about how playing Dorothy, playing Michael Dorsey as Dorothy opened his eyes to not only the plight of women, but of transgender people, 
um, like he, he, but not to his privilege. Yeah, and then, and then and you're like you're like <laughs> right. You, you go you you go. Oh, I don't know. That's just like this Gordian knot that we're not going to be able to untie. Of course. And when you when you it's hard to revisit a movie like Tootsie and not carry a lot of that with you. It's hard to unplug yeah. and just say like, I'm going to just enjoy this very smartly made romantic comedy from the early eighties. Like mm, you can't, I don't think you can. Yeah. I don't think you can. Um, no matter how genuine everybody's intentions and no matter how much playing Michael Dorsey affected Dustin Hoffman as a, as a person, I, I don't, I just don't think you can. Um, I don't think you can, you can, set all your baggage aside um, and watch this movie. Well, on that... On that sour fucking note. Sour note. (laughs) (laughs) This is on a very special 1982 project. Yeah, right. Exactly. Oh, my God. The 1982 project will be back after these messages. Perfume for that 24-hour woman. I can work till 5 o'clock. Come home and read your tickety-tock. Tonight I'm going to cook for the kids. And if it's loving you one, I can kiss you and give you the shivering bit. Ajoli, the 8-hour perfume for your 24-hour woman. Tootsie and Victor Victoria together are like a little little fascinating um, study. Um, to, because they're essentially the same story in the same movie at the bones of it. Right. So this movie, this this movie's a remake of a 1933 German film. For those who haven't seen it, it is um, it is about a a singer, a, a, a down on her down luck on her luck singer. singer in Paris trying to. Um, trying to eat, basically. She doesn't have two nickels to rub together, or two, or right. two francs to, run to rub together. And uh, she's trying to get a gig singing at a club. This is in the set in the 1920s. Um, and so she, with, uh, with the help of her new best friend, Robert Preston, they hatch this plan um, that she is going to masquerade as a man who masquerades as a woman. And sure enough, she becomes the toast of Paris. It's a very... Blake Edwards movie, uh, you know. You know what Matt means if you know Blake I Edwards. Mean, yeah. so here, let me let me back up. In 1982, this is not only Blake. This is not Blake Edwards' only movie. He's also doing a Pink Panther movie yeah. this year. And there are right. times when I am convinced that the reels for the Pink Panther movie got mixed up in the reels for Victor <laughs> Victoria. There is a there is a detective on the case that is so Clouseau. That it just feels like Blake Edwards is is robbing himself. Like it just it feels uh, uh, so stolen from his own body of work. If anybody else but Blake Edwards oh had God. done it, he'd have lodged a complaint. <laughs> he, would, he, would have, he would have had grounds. He would have had grounds <laughs> right. for at least a cease and desist. Um, this is the movie that really trades on the comedy of men kissing men. That's it's sometimes it's a, it's only joke. 
And, um, and that's where I, I'm like, okay, I'm like, okay, this, this, there's a reason why we kind of remember Tootsie a little bit more than we remember Victor Victoria. Yeah. Speak, you know, what's funny is because speaking to that, you know, this movie had a budget of $15 million, but it topped out at 28.2 million dollars, and it got tons of award nominations. And- but yeah, like seven Oscar nominations. It won one, won an award, an Academy Award for the original song. And I think I spoke to ninety percent on Rotten Tomatoes really? for That's- Tootsie. What's what's this, this movie? This movie has a ninety-seven percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Which is astonishing to that me. That is astonishing. Like, just as a stepping back from all of the sort of culture discussion, it's not that good a movie. It's not a 97% movie. I agree. Yeah, it, it, it's one of these movies where, um, where like, different members of the cast are, are in different movies. There's the movie that Julie Andrews and Robert Preston are in. Which is my favorite. Which is the best movie. part of this movie. That's the best so part. Th- it's right. their it's their plan that they hash. Anytime they're together, I think this movie's gold. It, it's sure. Then there's the movie that uh, James Garner is in, I, and I don't know what movie that is. I, I, I that movie is a weird ass movie. And James Garner. I don't understand it. So James Garner, he's in Paris on vacation with his uh, with his lady friend, played by Leslie Ann Warren. Leslie, who's Ann in Warren. yet another movie. I think she got nominated for this yeah. movie for that role. She's in a farce. She's in the full farce version. Oh of yeah, this she's movie. Right. and in that. And if this were a full farce, she would be. She's, she's great. Fantastic. <laughs> right. And uh, and so James Garner is there. He sees uh, Julie Andrews performing on stage as a man, as a woman. He mistakenly thinks it's just a woman on stage, woman. and he falls head over heels. And so the love story is James Garner falling in love with this persona, only to discover that he's fallen in love with a man, only to discover... Which he can't which believe. Which he can't believe, but then kind of starts to get maybe a little cool with. And then and then and then not. And then N-O-T not. And then yeah. and then finally uh, uh, ends up sort of with Julie Andrews in the end, which I I just thought was like so wrong. Which, <laughs> I, yes. I, you know, and this is my biggest problem with the movie. I have a bigger problem with this than in Tootsie. These two people do not belong together. Absolutely not. There's nothing redeeming. There's nothing redeeming about. There's nothing likable or redeeming about James Garner in this in this movie. I don't understand her attraction to this man. Yeah, I think. I th- and it's like because he's a dick, you should like him. Because he's tough. Because he's rough. All of my problems with this movie can be can be sort of funneled into one scene. He goes out on a date with uh, Julie Andrews. Once he once she tells him the, the truth. About like, I'm only pretending to be a man. I really am in love with you. Like, let's try to do this. Let's try to make this work. Yeah, this movie has like 20 minutes of them dating after that. This movie, this movie, by the way, if it's, uh, if it's a minute, it's four hours long. That's, that's the, like, I feel like this movie (laughs) just like went on and on and on. So this is somewhere in the very murky, muddy middle of this movie. They go out on their first date where she is just her and he is just him and they go out dancing. But they go to a they go to a club where it's it's a gay club and she is the only woman 
in this room full of men dancing together. And James Garner is is dancing with her. And he wants to crawl out of his skin. Like he can't leave there fast enough. He's right. he he can't stand to be around uh, all these gay men. It just it's driving him insane. And he makes up an excuse to 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 get out of there. After that, he leaves her. He finds the diviest dive bar in Paris. Yes. In in the in an alley behind an alley next to a dumpster. And right. and he goes inside. It's like longshoreman. He walks in yeah, there. Yeah, right. Just a bunch of cut-ups. If I'm remembering, he orders a glass of milk and just punches out the first guy he sees. That's what he's there he for. He is there to have a bar fight. He's there to for manly business. It's almost an exorcism that we're watching. Like he is there to just fight, just to fight and fight and fight and fight and, he, and this huge bar fight breaks up. We cut away. We we see what Julie Andrews is, you know, oh, I don't he left the date early. I don't know what what, what happened, blah blah blah. And then we cut yeah. and then we cut back to James Garner in the in the bar. And guess what? All the men, bloodied, fat lip, black eye, they're singing singing songs together. And it's like they all got it out of their system. And now they can all be friends. Their arms are around each other. This is this whole sequence feels like a movie, like a sequence from a 60s slapstick um, Mm -hmm. Blake Edwards film. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just feels so retrograde, even for 1982. So did you, I mean, now, did, when, did you, and let me ask you, because I've been, I've been, yeah. I've been, I've been on my soapbox. Like, had you ever seen this before? Did you, did you know of it? What was your, what was your experience? My first experience watching this movie was, you know, a few days ago. Mm-hmm. All the things we're talking about were all the feelings I had when Julie Andrews and Robert Preston are together. I I can't help but to almost be in love with the movie. They're fantastic together. Their acceptance of one another. Mm-hmm. It it brought me back to early days of being in community theater when I got out of high school and how accepting we were of everybody. And you were all just there to, like, try to bring something to life on stage together. Yeah. And that sort of camaraderie I loved. And I loved seeing it on screen between these two characters. Their, their relationship is, it took me yeah, back. Their relationship is very sweet. It was very sweet. Everything about James Garner <laughs> and basically the rest of this movie reminded me of one incident in my life that I still, you know, it, it, it was a hugely informative part of my life. I was, as you might not, as you, as you probably know, I was not a big fighter dude as a kid. Mm-hmm. But I grew up in a time of, you know, my brothers would get into fights far more easily than I would. We grew up with two twins who loved beating each other up. I can vividly remember walking home on opposite sides of a street from a kid whose name was Daniel. Daniel was kind of an oddball. For whatever reason, he started poking fun at me as we're walking down the street. And I was like... Daniel, shut up. And then he said, you're a fag, which at this time was an insult. Sure. So I said, you better take that back or on Monday, I'm going to kick your ass. And he said, fag, 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 and ran home. 
By Monday, of course, I completely forgot about it. Could care less. Mm-hmm. Got on the bus in the morning, went to middle school, got off the bus. And it was a friend of mine who I had told the story to that said, hey, weren't you going to kick Daniel's ass? And I said, oh, that's right. And immediately confronted with <laughs> eyes looking at me like, this is what you have to do. And I walked right down the street, oh. arm on his shoulder, spun him around and popped him right in the face. Daniel mm. was crying before he hit the ground. And then oh, he got man. up and ran home. And I did not feel good. We got a phone call from Daniel's dad. My mom said, please come over. Daniel's dad said, why did you hit my son? And I explained the, you know, pernicious name he called me that was not okay. And he turned to his son and said, Daniel, do you know what that word means? And then we had to talk about homosexuality and what it meant. And he said, I don't really think it's an insult or something like that. But then we got into a weird place where he said, Daniel felt trapped because he knows karate and he was afraid he was going to hurt Mike uh, considerably. To which I, of course, in a, a, a teenage boy said, what are you talking about? I laid his ass out with one punch. And my mother quietly Michael, that's enough. Stop talking. But mm-hmm. afterwards, you know, I apologized and they went on their merry way. And, you know, I had to have this talk with my mom about what I'd done and what it meant and who am I and who do you want to be and what kind of person are you? Like you hurt a kid today or, or yesterday or whenever it happened. Yeah. I just remember not wanting to be that kid. Yeah, I feel like, um, yeah, I mean, I can relate to that story. I don't, I, I, I but that's I mean, the thing, you know, we're watching. Those were the very, those were the very same streets I was growing up. Those, those suburban streets of like, of, uh, you know, of boys trying to assert themselves right. in that way. What about this movie made you go there? I think there? James Garner. I did not like James Garner. <laughs> and, and what's your take on Alex Karras? I thought um, I, I was just very fascinated by that choice because I know that Alex Karras was a professional football player. Right. I know what professional athletes were like, certainly at that time. And I thought it interesting that he was willing to play a gay character. I, yeah. It's, I thought that was fantastic. So for, for, for those listening, uh, Alex Karras plays James Garner's bodyguard, who once when the bodyguard thinks that his boss has fallen in love with a man, he comes out to his to his boss. And now his boss has to figure out sort of how to sort of tiptoe around the fact that his 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 bodyguard, bodyguard is gay. Is gay. And, and again, like that's the that's the mind of Blake Edwards It's like you're mm-hmm. when when Alex Karras comes out, it's a dramatic complication. It's not a we're going to mind that for comedy. Yeah. And then you go you go. Oh, and that's what just makes it uh, that much more kind of um, retrograde and. Red, yeah, really, exactly. Don't worry if you've missed Victor Victoria. (laughs) (laughs) Say that. Don't worry. I think we can end it there, can't we? Goth. Goth.
Garp? Yes, Garp. Sounds like a fish. When I get older, losing my head, many years from now. My name is T.S. Garp. What's T.S. stand for? Terribly sexy. I used to be terribly shy, but I changed. Will you still be sending me a valentine? Birthday greetings, bottle of wine. Did you see this movie when you were I have a, I, younger? I do have a distinct memory of seeing this movie. It wasn't on... It wasn't in the theaters. I didn't see it in the theaters either, but I I remember seeing it on video. I saw it when it was on it was on cable. My dad, he didn't have HBO. He had something called something else. It was some There was a knockoff? I don't know if it was a knockoff because HBO was still um sort of finding its legs. Uh interesting fun fact uh in the world of 1982, January of 1982 is when HBO went to 24 hours. Oh, wow. So HBO wasn't quite HBO yet. It was still sort of finding its way, and there were other players in the cable market. Anyway, I remember my dad having this thing, this other thing that was like HBO. And I remember um, being at his house one night, and and, uh, we watched this movie. And I distinctly remember the opening um, shots of this movie, of the baby being thrown into the air as the Beatles um, sing, as Paul McCartney sings when I'm 64. I also... When I was a teenager, went through a a pretty thorough John Irving phase, and yeah. remember reading this book. This is one of the great last lines of a book to yeah. me. Yeah, you know, I I latched on to John Irving because there was something of all of the things that people found challenging about his work. I kind of understood, like mm-hmm. you know, in his books. Sometimes a dad just comes home with a bear and now you have a pet bear. Like it's it right, like yeah. like <laughs> I as as listeners of the show will know, I understood that dad. This makes sense to <laughs> <Yes>. you. <laughs> Sometimes your dad comes home. You guys sit here and watch Conan, I'm going to bail out my yeah. boat. <laughs> Sometimes dad comes home with a bear. Sometimes dad is the bear. Right. Why don't you talk about, because you were the one who came to me and said, what if we put Garp in this basket? Right. And I was like, yeah, we do. We need to. So what what was it about this movie that you thought would would put it in with Tootsie and Victor well, Victoria? Aside from just the fact that it's John specific- Lithgow um, playing a, a transgender That was role. my initial thought. That, like, my initial thought is you have the character of Robert Muldoon, who we know in the movie as Roberta Muldoon mm. as played by John Lithgow. And I, I, I can't speak. I, I'm not a, enough of a film historian to know where he falls in, in the first transgendered person put on film or what, you know, when, when that was, or, or if he is, the it, first it's definitely, or, it's know, definitely I don't know. early. Um, but it would be, it's a, it's it, you an, know, you're, you're, it's right. an early there, there's another film from 1982 called Come Back to the Five and Dime Jimmy Dean Jimmy Dean uh where there is another there is a transgender character in that movie as well. But it was you that reminded me that not aside from that character there's so much about gender going on in this movie mm-hmm. uh in the name of of motherhood of of fatherhood being a husband being a wife the archetypes that we give ourselves in our lives is at play in this movie. At play and actively challenged, yeah. Yes, You know, right. um, Garp himself is largely a stay-at-home dad. He's a novelist, but 
unlike other novelists that we see in movies, he's not like obsessively writing all the time. And like the, the movie doesn't make any particular hay about what novel writing, you know, how it costs him time with his family or anything like it's not. Right. A, it's just part of his life. They don't it honestly doesn't even factor into the story all that much. It doesn't. In this movie, it gives him more time with exactly. his family. And he's the person who can make dinner. Right. And, and that's what's kind of also remarkable about this movie is that. It doesn't make that into a comic set piece the way that, say, Mr. Mom makes, a, you know, a stay-at-home dad right. into it, like a comic set piece. In this movie, the, the the driver of the plot isn't Garp at all. It's it's the character played by Glenn Close. Yeah, uh, it's, it's yeah. Jenny. She it's it's Jenny. It's the decisions she makes. It's the book that she writes that drives entirely the plot of this movie. What what plot there Completely. is? Completely. And she writes this. Um, manifesto. Yeah, she writes almost. this biography slash manifesto called "Sexual Suspect." The thesis statement is um, that everything in her life, being born a woman, uh, wanting a child, uh, but not wanting a husband, all of these decisions that she made in her young life uh, made her a sexual suspect. And again, con- here's context. Are you ready? 1982 is the year that the Equal Rights Amendment failed to be adopted. Uh, it, it, it did right. not get passed. That was the that was sort of the fateful year um, where it was not ratified and made part of the Constitution. And so you have that is the actual backdrop for not only the movie of Garp but the book of Garp uh, being written in the late seventies. So the ERA is a is a very active force in American politics and culture. Right. And Jenny Fields becomes one of these um, sort of icons of this of this movement. Um, and it's her fame and and fortune that allow the rest of the movie to happen, even. Correct. Um, and her story is is fascinating. Glenn Close in her first movie role, mm-hmm. uh, feels like I, I don't know. It feels like you watch her and you're like, she's she was born to do this. She's a, a tower of talent. <laughs> it's like yeah, she's. <laughs> Absolutely stunning. She is a woman who's only four years older than Robin Williams in real life. Playing his mom. Playing his and mother. And this is, again, this is where, like, now we got to pump the brakes on it because you're like, okay, yeah, this movie can say all at once about gender and all this stuff. But, like, the bottom line is she's four years older than him and she's playing his mom. I always wanted a child. I could have had one by myself. I would have. But God or nature or whatever... Well, you know, you need a man. You know what men are like, full of lust. I can talk to you because you're past all that. What? You're not well enough to walk. It's a very nasty bum. Anyway, the war was on. I was a nurse. One day they brought in a tail gunner who had been wounded by anti-aircraft in a raid over Germany. A splinter of steel had lodged in his brain, and all he could say was his name, Garp. Medical reasons I couldn't quite understand. He also had a constant erection. Well, he deteriorated steadily. Till one day, all he could say was part of his name. Ah. It was then that I knew that he wouldn't last much longer. His erections continued, however, quite unabated. I see. I'll just Not yet. No, No, not yet. You'd better rest. Anyway. Where was I? He kept having erections. It's funny. I'm I I'm starting to realize through this project of the things that I'm taking away from movies 
And the thing I the the, the the two things that stood out most to me when I was a kid in this movie was one, Jenny Fields being assassinated. Yeah. I remember that scene specifically. And the ease with which everybody loved and accepted Roberta Muldoon. Mm-hmm. They all loved her and she loved all of them. And that's what I took away when I was a young kid and saw this movie. Mm-hmm. The idea of being that accepting, that it was okay. Did you, I mean, did you remember liking this movie as a kid or was it like, or how did, how did you come to see this movie? Was it on a VHS or like, how did you? Yeah, I think on VHS. So you were. And I did like it. I liked the movie. I also thought it was a strange movie. Of course, I couldn't put into words. I I didn't understand that this movie was almost plotless. Right. You know what I mean? And so when a movie is plotless, there's, I think, something strange that sticks out to you that you can't quite identify when you're a young kid. Even now. And for me, it was probably that. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's and, yeah. and, and for it's plotless and it's also really weird. Like, it, yeah. it's it, because that plane slamming into the building is not explained. It's not That's explained. That's why you don't I remember s- it. I still don't totally <laughs> understand what that whole scene is about. Um yeah, I also think for me as a kid, what I probably, I'm going to guess here, what I probably uh, was expecting was, you know, to watch Mork <laughs> in a movie, you know? Right. And that's the other thing. Robin Williams is not Robin Williams in this no, movie. Or, or at least he, he, he wasn't the Robin Williams that everybody was accustomed to by 1982. You know, he had just done, no. he was doing stand-up, he was doing Mork and Mindy, and he had just done Popeye. And he hadn't started doing dramatic work yet. This is his first dramatic role. And then he wouldn't be nominated for his dramatic work until Good Morning right. Vietnam a couple years later. I was reading reviews too, um, like old Ebert reviews and, and um, you know, Janet Maslin reviews. And, and they kind of didn't know what to do with it either. They didn't sound like they were particularly um, big fans of the book to begin with. And so mm. a faithful adaptation, although sort of a Cliff's Notes adaptation of the book, didn't impress them either. The only standout was Leonard Maltin, who apparently gave one of the f- very few four-star reviews he ever gave. Uh, wow. Uh, you know, out of out of like 10,000 movies he ever reviewed, like he gave something that was like fewer than 500 ever got uh, four stars. And this was one of them. And he he sort of t- to read his review is it, sort of like uh, it touched him in a place that he can't quite even understand. He felt he was transported. Something happened to Leonard Maltin watching this movie. Interesting. <laughs> watching this movie. But he was one of the only critics that, that, that happened with. Well, it felt like you were about to say it, like it, it affected him in a way in which he could not describe in words, which I hope wasn't the case <laughs> as he was writing as he about. needed to write it. No, but he, right. there is a sort of speechless quality to his review, in fact. Um, yeah, oh, really? It's a lot of little things. This movie, to me, it's, continues to I was to just going to yeah. say that what this movie has going for it is lots of great little things. It's a movie full of little things. It's yeah. a movie full of little things. And for things. me, one of those moments specifically referring to Robin Williams when their son dies mm. and they're fighting but they're still together, but they're separated, yeah. you know? They're not sleeping in the same room. They're not they're not, you know, they're together but separated. And the moment when he comes into the room and the thing that he chooses to say and the way in which Robin Williams delivers it is he says, I miss yeah. you. 
great stuff. Yeah. Just like as a as a know, scene. And I, <laughs> oh, right. Just exactly. as a scene to watch that, you're like, that's you. You watch if you were to watch that scene in isolation, I think you would immediately, even today, you would go, I want to see the rest of that movie. Right. Whatever movie that scene came from, I want to see the rest of it. And then when you watch, but when you watch so the whole movie, though, from, yeah. <laughs> when you watch the whole movie, though, you're like, I don't know what to make of that. But any one yeah, of the right. scenes, if you were to watch as a, as a piece, you'd be like, oh, that's, that's got to be from a, a fantastic movie. A great movie. I've never yeah, seen. exactly. <laughs> and it's like, no, maybe not. Maybe it's just a movie full of pieces. Um, I don't know. Like, like, let me, let me ask you, let me ask you this. Um, does this movie get made today with the preface of this is a movie that has largely faded from view not many people remember this movie even though it's good and it launched these careers does right. does this movie get made today is there a reason to remake this movie today for you i could understand and and even want this movie to have a remake before the other two mm. because it's so salient mm-hmm. It would be interesting to see what somebody decided to do with it. I, I kind of... I ha- But you got to have the right person. You have to have the right person. I'm, obviously, you can't cast a man playing Roberta Muldoon, you know, in this day and age. I think the casting would, be, would have to be a right. lot different. But I, like you, I watched this movie and, and the first thought I had was, you know what? This should have been a, like a miniseries. The, the it should have a been mini a series, um, a mini series. You're right. Yeah, because of like I said, there is no. The, you're taking somebody cradle to grave. Um, you're you're showing the span of somebody's life. It, it it has a long form feel to it, and so I think a, a more, well, and that hits today too. Limited series. Yeah, I think I think a more successful you know? adaptation of this would be a, a limited series. Um, what we I think there's this movie and the story and the book probably though I haven't read it in many years has an Achilles heel which which goes to the Achilles heel of all these 1982 movies as we said the the driver of the plot of this movie and arguably the most interesting character in this movie is Jenny right. Fields yet it's the world according to Garp and and the um the 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 way that stories of this era and then even to today sort of stubbornly tend to revolve around the the male characters the even male. when the female characters are are actually driving the story and are more interesting and more engaging i felt that, that I, I, well go ahead finish your thought i just i feel like like the 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 garpness of it um is always going to make this thing feel old yeah, that's for, that's interesting. For as for as for as salient as Jenny's story is, Garp's story feels pretty old to me, and that's I feel like that's the tension. And so I would have to say, um, it's like I would say like pass, don't remake this. But if you were, it's a mini series mm-hmm. and it's Jenny's story. <laughs> like right. like if right. if you if you're dead set on doing it. Do, please do it this way because that's the that the, there's light at the end of that tunnel. 1982 project will be back after these messages. Why 
is Peggy Fleming dancing instead of skating. I know it sounds crazy, but when I wear sheer energy pantyhose, they make me feel like dancing. They give your legs a refreshing massage, and they look terrific. Sheer energy. It makes me feel like dancing. Is that a plus I hear? Sheer started this episode by saying I was scared and I have settled down a little bit. I'm still, I'm still mm-hmm. very scared. Um, <laughs> I, but we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna forge ahead and, uh, and try to, uh, you know, render some verdicts here on salt, no salt, cup of salt. It's not easy this round. No, man, this is not, this is not easy for me. I'll tell you this that This is not much. easy for me either. Um, so let's start. Let's start at the beginning. Let's start with uh, Tootsie. Are you no salt, grain of salt, or cup of salt? Grain. With Tootsie, like all these movies, of course, you have to remember it was made in 1982. So that was, you know, let's put that on the books, of course. But we discussed the problems with its central character, and at the very least, this movie is at least smart enough in its writing and in its directing and in its acting that the character who is an asshole is recognizing his assholery. Yeah. However, the grain of salt for me more than anything is the, the continual deep diving of comedy with especially the George Gaines character more than anything, the lecherous man Mm -hmm. who might actually be a rapist. Mm -hmm. And the idea that that's funny. And that's the shit I don't like about that movie. So that's that, you know, it's not enough for me to say it's evil. It's a cup of salt. Ingest it and it's poison. I can't go that far. But I also can't say watch this without any reservations. I, 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 com- I completely agree with you. I think I think the comedy wells that it goes to, the comedy wells of, of Lecherous Man, um, that they go that they go there for a comedy well that they go to homophobia for a comedy well again there's other things in the other pan of the scale on this movie right um, yeah i can't give it a i can't get a, i can't give it a full um a full no salt pass this is uh this is there's a lot of grains of salt here and I, I, because right. i love the movie so much as a as as a as a kid and, right. and, and because it is such a a, a widely you have to beloved reconcile movie. that yeah now. like it's because you it's know, such a widely you're... beloved movie it feels um uh, I, I don't know it uh, this is but this is the reckoning that we're i think we're trying to do here so i'm very interested to see where you are with victor victoria uh, that to me it's more than a that's a it's tough a more one. than a grain so i'm gonna go cup i'm gonna go cup of salt yeah there are just it's got too many strikes against it if you really love Julie Andrews and you really love Robert Preston, okay, watch the movie and enjoy their scenes and fast forward through the rest. This movie is, like I said, it's super retrograde, even for 1982. And um, yeah, cup of salt. Let this one go, and certainly don't don't revive the Broadway show and don't like. Let, we can just let this go, remembering right. this originally was a story from 1933 Germany. Maybe we should let it go. <laughs> <laughs> that's the first flag. Let's not do this anymore. 
So that's where I'm at. What about you? I got to tell you, I because this is the first time I'd ever seen the movie, too. I mean, you yourself just said, if you love Robert Preston and you love Julie Andrews, yeah, I guess go watch it and fast forward through everything else. And I love them that much in this movie. But like you, this movie's just got too many fucking problems. And I, I, I just... I found James Garner's character so distasteful. <laughs> you did. I touched a nerve I with just, you, man. Oh, man. <laughs> I did not like anything about that. And I I was yelling at the, at, the, at the television. I'm like, don't go to him. What are you doing? Just let, you know. So, you know, I wish I could hedge and say it's um, several spoonfuls of salt that's going to make you sick. <laughs> <laughs> but watch it. <laughs> that's not that's not a ringing endorsement. But it's not. But but when I say those words out loud, of course I'm saying cup of salt. Yeah. That's what I'm describing is a movie that's a cup exactly. of salt. And of course, you came up with the the most salient fact of all: nineteen thirty three Germany. <laughs> Maybe we let this one go. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh. Um, all right. And then finally, uh, where are you with uh, the world according to Garp? I suppose officially a grain of salt. And, and you're the one that's kind of won me over on that. I, I think I might have said before our conversation, I might have said no salt. Watching it this time, I felt like I was constantly saying, this is a great book. Right. <laughs> you yeah. know? And so I, do, I think it does suffer from that. And, and it, it feels like it's trying to make itself into a great movie but in name only you know it, it like because we talked about how plotless it is it it just and i don't know maybe john irving just needed to write the screenplay of his own book i don't know yeah i don't know either uh, i'm the same as you i'm 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 grain because of that and i think if if you were to watch this movie i think there are pleasant surprises in it in, in as we talked about sort of Pleasant surprises throughout. Pleasant surprises in, in terms of how they portray, how Roberta is portrayed in, in sort of the positive yes. ways she's portrayed, how um, how Jenny is portrayed and sort of the um, her struggle um, and the and the choices that she makes. I think I think the, the film has a remarkably open mind and um, and yes, and doesn't make doesn't go for the laughs that Blake Edwards would have gone for. Right. If, if and all of this. that is no salt for me. But 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 I but yeah. you're right in the sense that the, the 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 driving force of the story is Jenny herself and the movie and the book are called The World According to Garth. That to me, like I said, that's the Achilles heel that I don't think this this movie is yeah. ever going to ever going to quite outgrow. Maybe we maybe we just let this one go. And um, and so. You know, if you if you're a huge fan of Glenn Close, watch the movie. It's her first mm-hmm. movie role. You should absolutely watch this movie. Um, but bear in mind, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Um, yeah. And that's that. That's, right. that's where I would be with that. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm not as afraid now mm-hmm. as I was at the beginning. Well, that's I good. I think we've made some progress. Um, but. I still, uh, I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced this episode ever sees the light of day. <laughs> I'm st- <laughs> The 1982 project is a production of the Everything's Equal podcast and was produced by Mike Chance and Matt Aldrich. Original music by Emmett Aldrich and Murphy Aldrich. 
follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That is one. Nutty. Hospital.